Welcome to the Fat and Fit Dietitian to Be podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Silvis, currently a Master's of Dietetic student headed into my dietetic internship come the summer of 2021. Today, we'll be talking about eating disorders and go a little further into eating disorders and athletes. Let's dive in. This topic is near and dear to my heart, as the subject is what I am hopeful my dietetics career will be about and is my passion, but it also happens to be personally applicable. I want to start by saying that I completely understand if some of this might be hard to hear. I want this podcast to be a safe place, but I cannot truly make it a safe place, as I discovered while listening to the Real Talk RD podcast by Heather Kaplan with her guest, Catherine Metzelar. Hopefully I didn't ruin that last name. So instead, we'll try to make this a brave space where you can feel free to ask questions, challenge perceptions, both your own, mine, and others. It is a brave space to be in any shaped body of any weight, of any orientation, any religion, or any race, and speak up on nutrition topics or address inner emotions regarding eating disorders you may not have had the courage to address before. I have to acknowledge that my experience may not be quite the same as yours and that I am LGBTQ but my eating disorder isn't as firmly rooted in that part of my identity as it might be for a transgender individual or other LGBTQ individuals. I have struggled with body dysmorphia and disordered eating issues, but I have never been quote-unquote skinny. I've never had to be hospitalized or receive intensive outpatient treatment at a center, though at times I wish I had. This is all, of course, okay, since we are all different with different life experiences, but I know that my story may not resonate with your particular story or your particular eating disorder if you have one. Regardless, I do still hope that my story might prove useful or be encouraging to you, wherever you may be in your own journey with an eating disorder. As a dietetic professional, a parent of someone with an eating disorder, a friend of someone with an eating disorder, or just a curious individual exploring different podcasts. Lastly, I'd like to give the disclaimer that with any eating disorder, other people's stories can bring up triggering emotions and thoughts. So please keep in mind your own well-being while listening and stop or pause if you need to stop or pause. My story probably begins as far back as first or second grade in elementary school, and in all honesty, it's probably where a lot of people's disordered eating habits begin. Those two years of school are when I started being called fat and being bullied by other kids at school but was also the time that I started to internalize the culture of needing to be thin to be happy. The message of thin is the ideal, or you can only be happy and healthy if you are thin or lose weight, was, and frankly still is, everywhere in social media and our surroundings. There were even subtle messages in cartoon shows I watched, like any fat person will never be the star athlete, popular girl, or be successful. Heavy seeming for a seven or eight year old and watching cartoons, but when you look back and really think about the subtlety of what a child is seeing in shows, it is definitely an underlying theme. Let's take the show Friends, for example, which is most assuredly not a kid's cartoon, but that I probably started watching around fifth or sixth grade because, hey, I had an older sibling, and so did a lot of my friends. Monica only seemed to come into her own and be accepted, or dare I say, even quote-unquote date-worthy, 
once she had lost lots of weight from her high school days. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Friends as much as the next person, but even if that wasn't the show writer's intention, it is definitely how it came across. I am sure if I went back and rewatched it now, I might feel differently or see that Monica came to accept herself, but all I knew as a child is that she was unloved and unwanted when she was fat in high school, and she lost lots of weight, and by the end, she married Chandler as a very thin individual. In other cartoons and shows set in schools, the fatter kid is nearly always bullied and pitied, but is never the main character. Occasionally, they get to be a sidekick bestie, but then we grow up and see movies like Just Friends, where that lovable bestie only appears successful and as a potential love interest once weight loss has occurred. Needless to say, the message was clear to me as a child. I am bigger than the other girls. Therefore, I am fat. Therefore, I must lose weight or be unworthy of love or success. So naturally, my mom takes me for my annual wellness exam, and I bring up to my pediatrician that I'm concerned about my weight at the age of 9 or 10. And God bless him, he told me he did not see any reason to be concerned with my weight. I appreciate that so much more now than I did then. Seeing I was not completely convinced, he said that if I was truly concerned, I could avoid having second helpings after dinner. Well, maybe not the direction we should have gone in hindsight, but he was actually quite progressive compared to most doctors at the time and even still today, so I don't completely fault him for trying to assuage me. The problem was that I wasn't really having second helpings at the time, and thanks to, I'm assuming, a mixture of genetics and proper amounts of protein, I hit puberty a lot earlier than most of the girls at my school at the lovely age of 10 in fifth grade. Naturally, I hit some growth spurts around that time, and with those came increased feelings of hunger, while all the while I had been playing soccer year-round since I was six years old. So I was pretty active, and once you hit 11, for my particular soccer club, you transitioned to tryouts and competitive soccer, which beyond the tryouts themselves, I was super excited for. I had always wanted to travel for my games and get to play games around the state of Colorado. Trust me, that lost its allure after a couple years. (laughs) But then my coach of about five years dropped me, and I was crushed. Most of our old team stayed together, and there were at least a couple girls kept on the team that were not as good of players as I was. And I don't say that with a whole lot of pride in my playing. I was wholeheartedly average, (laughs) maybe slightly above average playing level most of the time I played soccer. So that tells you the playing level of these other girls, whom I also have nothing against. So I leapt to the first natural conclusion. It must have been because I was fat, not because my coach was actually not a great human being and had always disliked me fat or not. No, clearly in my mind, it was my biggerness than other girls. So soccer became less of a priority for me a while, and I prioritized other hobbies going throughout the years from third ranked team to the fifth ranked team. And then by consolidation, since fewer and fewer girls played soccer as we got older, I moved into the fourth slash third team in my club, where I met probably one of my absolute favorite coaches. He was strict and regimented, and in some ways, he was like a second father figure to me. But I think what endeared him to me the most was his sarcasm. My two coaches prior to him, after I had been dropped, were really wonderful, and I adored them as well. They truly made me feel for the first time that I was an athlete. And yet, despite those other two coaches being really great for me, I just felt closer to my last club soccer coach. 
And he, sadly, was the last straw, I guess, that broke this camel's back in my eating disorder journey. And what's funny is despite that, I still really remember him fondly and knew he meant well. He took coaching seriously and really treated it like a second career at times. Every year, we would have what you could say were individual annual reviews of our playing levels. Really prepared us for the real world. (laughs) This individual assessment would come toward the middle of the season, and one year, when I was 16, I was driving myself to practices at this point, as we are going through my individual assessment, my coach paused at the end of telling me areas I can work on with a somewhat guilty look on his face. He then proceeded to tell me that I would probably improve even more if I were able to lose some weight. I broke inside, not of course outwardly because I had too much pride for that, but I sobbed once I had gotten into the privacy of my car. My response to him was, but coach, I've already tried and nothing seems to work. I honestly don't remember his response if he had one because I was too busy fighting back the tears at that point. I found myself writing this episode fighting back tears too because by the age of 16, I had already tried Weight Watchers and done an almost restrictive enough diet to be considered starvation. I would only ever order salads when eating out and it was always without dressing, not dressing on the side to dip my lettuce in or dip my fork in, no dressing at all. And The exceptions to eating out salads only was after games when I'd have something a little more carb heavy or before my games where I had a ritual of eating a plain Einstein's bagel. No schmear, just plain, plain, no flavor, just a plain Einstein bros bagel. And it always had to be at least two hours prior to game time. I started in middle school doing 200 sit-ups per day to somehow magically destroy my stomach fat and get a six-pack, which never ended up happening. I had also done cross-country my freshman year of high school and joined my swim team for all four years of high school, which included two-hour swim practices every day and long swim meets with short bursts of swimming on weekends. I was frustrated, beaten down and hopeless, and nothing I did really changed my weight. If anything, I gained more and more weight, especially after joining the swim team and lifting more weights in my freshman year of high school, which looking back on now, I know that weight gain was because I built a lot of muscle very readily. So I gained weight and trimmed up. And as soon as I would stop exercising for a period of more than a couple of weeks, I would gain even more weight and lose some of the tone trimness I had found. In my junior or senior year of high school, I really can't remember which, I would eat a bowl of chicken broth for fullness along with a bowl of green tea, a bowl, not a cup, a can of green beans, and a can of corn for dinner every night because somewhere I had heard to drink more for fullness and that green tea increased your metabolism. There is so much wrong with that meal, I don't even know where to begin. But let's fast forward to after college and my first career job as a clinical research coordinator. After many years of that same cycling through various diets or huge increases in exercise and shorter bursts of time, I finally discovered two things. One, that enough was enough. And two, that there was such a concept as health at every size. Let's break those down by starting with enough was enough. 
By this point, I had stopped playing soccer, had gotten together with my then-girlfriend, now wife, with whom I discovered triathlons, the Manitou Springs Incline, and climbing 14ers. We did so much more hiking than I had ever done before in my youth, and we loved getting out into the beautiful Colorado scenery. We were active, despite some ups and downs in our training regimens and trying new eating patterns or diets in search of weight loss. In one such trial of a new final answer to weight loss, we discovered the state of slim. I won't get into too many details, but no, like so many diets, the state of slim had phases, and in the first phase, we were allowed minimal carbohydrates. My then-girlfriend and I started this diet and have really kept up some of our usual hiking activities throughout this change in eating pattern. One of those usual hiking activities was the Manitou Springs Incline that we would do every other week in the spring and summer months. Now, for those of you that do not know what the incline is, allow me to explain. This will be fun. Imagine a set of stairs. Now make those stairs so steep that you are practically climbing a straight up and down wall with steps in it and extend that wall to be about a mile long. A mile of the most ridiculously steep stairs you've ever climbed. That is the incline in a nutshell. So we set out one weekend to do the incline like we have done so many times before while we were in this first phase of the state of slim diet. I could barely get a quarter of the way up before I felt like my body could not keep going. While I won't say that we were such intense athletes that we would run up and down the incline, because I'm not sure I'll ever be able to do that, we had gotten our time up to the top just under an hour, which we were super happy about. So I was so spent that I had to get off at the bail trail, which is about halfway to two-thirds of the way up the incline. I was so frustrated and felt so drained The whole point of the state of slim was to be active and live like a typical, quote unquote, healthy Coloradan, since Colorado has a lower than average rate of obesity. How on earth is anyone supposed to do what is labeled an extreme hike without fuel, which ladies and gentlemen, carbohydrates are fuel. Just letting us all know, public service announcement. I know this now, of course, and it seems pretty obvious, but I was maddened by this supposed way of life for Coloradans not working for me, a born and raised Coloradan. The following spring takes us to number two, me discovering health at every size at my first professional nutrition conference, where, oddly enough, there was a presentation by the author of Wouldn't You Know It? The State of Slim, <laughs> but also, more importantly, Julie Duffy Dillon. She introduced me to health at every size, and I remember going up to ask her questions after the conference, finally feeling like I had found the answer to everything I struggled with. And I cried in front of Julie Duffy Dillon. As my questions came out, so did the tears unhindered and free, and as an introvert who was completely uncomfortable asking questions to begin with, I was more than a little bit mortified internally. Yeah, that happened. But it was because for the first time in a long time, I felt like it was okay to be me. It was okay to be bigger, 
It didn't matter what I looked like as long as I took care of and respected my body. Julie was, of course, wonderful about it. She told me she completely understood and that we needed more people like me in dietetics who had gone through what I've gone through. That moment has really stuck with me. And when I'm struggling, because honestly, I still do struggle, I remember that conversation and it helps me push forward. I vowed on that day to never diet again, which for the most part, except some macronutrient experimenting for exercise fueling purposes, I haven't. I'd like to move away from even that, honestly, and I'm excited to be able to with help from books like Run Fast, Eat Slow by former Olympic marathon runner Shalene Flanagan and Elise Kapecki probably ruined that last name as well, (laughs) chef, runner, and nutritionist, and also with resources from Heather Kaplan of Real Talk RDs on intuitive eating for fueling as an athlete. While I'm still on my journey in many ways, I am so happy to have found a place I can be me, especially as a future dietitian in a bigger body. But enough about me. Let's talk about the prevalence of eating disorders in the United States. According to the Strategic Training Initiative for the Prevention of Eating Disorders, or STRIPED, 9% of the U.S. population will have an eating disorder in their lifetime, which STRIPED is estimated to be 28.8 million people. However, when we look into the U.S. population that are just athletes, there is an increased risk for eating disorders due to performance pressures, weight or appearance based on sports with pressures to be aesthetic or to be a certain weight, and high levels of competition stress. As you take into account my story, and really probably others you have probably heard, it may come as no surprise that many of these eating disorders or disordered eating patterns start in childhood. Several studies have pointed to increased rates of eating disorders among young athletes as compared to non-athlete peers, which has a higher occurrence in girls than in boys. This is not to say that men and boys don't really get eating disorders. They most certainly do and are often in a lot of ways underrepresented in the eating disorder world. I'm sure some of you may be thinking, well, that's great, Teresa, but what do I do with that information? I am so glad you asked. First of all, Awareness of the risks for eating disorders, especially among athletes, can help us as parents, coaches, dietitians, or friends prevent the future development of eating disorders. I mean, isn't that always the old adage, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure? Now here's what we can do. First off, we can educate ourselves on the signs and symptoms of potential eating disorders or disordered eating patterns. Secondly, we can know who when, and where we can direct someone for help. Thirdly, we can be a support to our students, friends, clients, players, or children by not being accusatory or causing shame. And finally, we can utilize the resources we might find and the ones I've linked in my show notes to help change our culture around body image and weight stigmatization and truly become role models for future generations. Before I move on and provide some of that education, I wanted to try and accurately quote Mahatma Gandhi, and I think you all know which quote I'm thinking of. So here it is in its full wisdom. We but mirror the world. All the tendencies present in the outer world are to be found in the world of our body. 
If we could change ourselves, the tendencies in the world would also change. As a man changes his own nature, so does the attitude of the world change towards him. This is the divine mystery supreme. A wonderful thing it is and the source of our happiness. We need not wait to see what others do. Wow, right? And if you're a little confused because that's not the quote you thought I might say, you may be thinking of Arlene Lawrence, former teacher, author, and social innovator, who is the most likely source of the quote, be the change you wish to see in the world, that is typically attributed to Gandhi. If I'm still incorrect on either of the sources of those quotes, I apologize. And feel free to correct me, but either way, the message is the same. We have to, as coaches, dietitians, parents, peers, and teachers, be what we hope and wish our world to look like. All right, I've been on the soapbox long enough. Let's get down to business. To defeat the Huns. <laughs> I had to. I'm sorry. I'm a 90s child. Anyways, how do you determine if you or someone you are around may have or may be at risk for an eating disorder? The National Eating Disorder Association, or NADA, has some great tools as well as the National Association of Anorexia Nervosa and Associated Disorders, which will both be linked in the show notes to help guide you. I want to read a few of Nada's warning signs and symptoms to help keep in mind that are general signs and symptoms not specific to any one eating disorder. Here we go. A person's behaviors and attitudes are in general becoming more centered around weight loss, dieting, and control of food. He, she, or they may have a preoccupation with weight, food, calories, carbohydrates, fat grams, and dieting. He, she, or they may refuse to eat certain foods, progressing to restrictions against whole categories of food, i.e. no carbohydrates. He, she, or they may be engaging in frequent dieting. He, she, or they is seen frequently checking the mirror for perceived flaws in appearance. He, she, or they may have noticeable fluctuations in weight either up or down. She or they may have menstrual irregularities. He, she, or they may have dizziness, fainting, or syncope spells, muscle weakness, may feel cold all the time, may have abnormal laboratory findings such as anemia, or may have dental erosion or other dental issues indicating weakened enamel. These are just some of the many, and Nada does a great job of breaking down signs and symptoms into types of eating disorders as well. Nada even has a screening tool for personal use if you yourself are concerned and are at risk or may have an eating disorder. There are helplines, crisis text lines, chats, all on Nada's website to help anyone find treatment and providers. I've linked all those in the show notes as well, but in the off chance you found my show and are feeling like you need someone to talk to about this, text NADA, that's N-E-D-A, to 741-741, or you can call the helpline at 800-931-2237, Monday through Thursday between 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, or Fridays between 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I am not a licensed professional yet, but I'm open to emails if you'd just like to talk, and I can certainly do my best to help you find treatment or practitioners in your area. 
At the time of this recording, we are in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, so many virtual options are available. I have even joined a weight-inclusive nutrition and dietetics private Facebook run by Heather Kaplan that is a group for dietitians and dietitians-to-be, where I can potentially ask for recommendations on good providers. The show email is fatandfitdietitian at gmail.com with the and spelled out. You can also see my show notes for spelling. If you are struggling, please know you are not alone. While I am working on my eating disorder and disordered eating, I still have a ways to go. It isn't easy. It will be tough, and you may feel a lot of hurt and other emotions you've been suppressing for a long time, but you are worth it. And if you're an athlete listening, your performance and sport are worth your health too. What I mean by that is that to truly give yourself your best shot at success, your body needs to be fully supported and nourished. A study looking at high school female athletes found that those who reported having disordered eating were twice as likely to incur a musculoskeletal injury as athletes who did not report disordered eating. In the same study, female high school students in aesthetic sports such as gymnastics, swimming and diving, and dancing that reported disordered eating were eight times more likely to incur an injury than those that did not report disordered eating. It may seem on the outside that certain disordered eating patterns are effective for performance, but when you really think of the injury risk and your longevity or your player's longevity as an athlete, taking care of yourself or your player is the best way to ensure optimal health, wellness, and performance. To wrap things up, I want to fully disclose that I was not sponsored by anyone to present this episode to you. All the resources are ones I found myself to be useful. I am still very much learning and I'm always trying to continue to improve myself. With that being said, if I said anything that was unintentionally inaccurate or misguided, please let me know at fatandfitdietitian at gmail.com. I'm also open to questions or comments you might have. With that, I hope you all have a great rest of your morning, afternoon, or night. And thank you so much for listening. I hope to have you back next time.